first episode. Well, I guess it's not the first episode. It's the second episode. It's episode one, but the second episode of Berluminati, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about conspiracy theories. My name is John. This is Jake. And uh, welcome to the show. So, Jake, do you want to take it away with the beer we're drinking? For sure. So uh, today we picked up a local one from Durham, and it's a uh, from Glass Jug Beer Lab, which uh, is out on NC55. And this is a stone fruit pie, goes style sour ale. It's uh, it's definitely a weird beer, uh, and I feel like we say that every time. But it's a uh, it's described as crisp and refreshingly tart. Uh, I don't know. It's not horrible. It's uh, ranking in at a 4.2% uh, alcohol volume. But I don't know. To me, it kind of tastes like a herbal tea I left on the counter for too long. Uh, yeah, like I just took a swig of it, and I wouldn't necessarily call it tart. Like yeah. it being a goes, goes, a whatever, it's definitely sour. Like it hits me with that yeah. weird back of the mouth soury kind of jam going on but i don't i don't really feel like it's that tart it is zero percent sweet like there's no yeah there's no sweetenerishness to this at all it is zero percent sweet and so yeah like to me it just feels like it's like a Lacroix. but it, yeah, it, it, yeah that's it, that's actually a really good way to like, put it i don't know what kind of fruit is supposed to be in this but it's more like weird yeah tea like you said, it's like weird tea that got left out on the counter for too long and just got kind of warm and there's right. no like carbonation or bubbly-ishness to it. And it also doesn't taste like beer. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't know. It's, it's just like a like, stone fruit LaCroix. <laughs> I don't even know what stone fruit is. What is it's, stone fruit? I don't it's written on the front. I think that's that yellow. No, that's star fruit. So it says stone fruit. It does fruit say stone pie, fruit. Right on the but front pie there. like P-I, like the number. Yeah. But it also says tart, refreshing, and fruity. So, I mean, you know. I didn't it, find it that fruity or tart. Or I guess it's kind of refreshing if you like tea. I think the problem is they're kind of like floating between two things and they didn't go enough sour and they didn't go, go enough goes. And, you know, I like like the Funkatorium, like in Asheville and all that stuff. Like yeah. Where you go super sour. So. That place yeah. is lit. Like people love it. It is. It is. It's crazy. I went there right when uh, the whole pandemic started and it was like the first place to really open back up and they had okay. people on the street like waving people in. It was oh, pretty wow. cool. Yeah, they were just like, we're open, we're open and we were just wandering through. Come drink our sour beer that yeah. has to be brewed separately from everything else that we brew. Right. It's a huge pain in the ass but we still do it right. for some odd reason. Because apparently it'll ruin every other beer that's in the same room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I just like... I feel like this year I've really either been stuck on like just like really very New England IPAs, like stuff that's really citrusy and clean and stuff like that. Or I've been like running down that like Berliner path. Yeah. This for me, like through summer, I was I was hitting hazy IPAs super hard all the time. Same. And then, you know, as soon as one or two leaves start falling off the trees in my front yard, I go full stout and don't look back. And so like, like the darker, the more bitter stout, like as soon as it starts dipping below 70 degrees, that's, I usually don't turn back from that. I love stouts, but I have such a hard time with them because they're so heavy. Yeah. Like, 
I it's like I love them, but I have to be in the right mood for them, and then I can really only drink one or or so. Yeah. Um. But actually, today, the day that we're recording this, Trophy is releasing their special edition Ooh. pumpkin spice Milky Way stout. We'll have to go over there. Wait, yeah, I I want to go. And they actually just released a really cool um, like Berlin or Weiss at the beginning of the week called Tart Pop. It's the one like, on Maywood? It's a, yeah. Yeah. It's a pastry Weiss with Ooh. raspberry filling in it. Oh. Oh, man. One of my friends got it and she did not really like it that much. <laughs> it was too sweet for her. But she really loves Goza. She likes the yeah. salted, sour kind of thing. Okay. And I was super into it. So I think she was going to go there to today and pick up some of this nice. pumpkin spice um milky way and then pick me up some more of these tart pops I was nice like, fuck yeah <laughs> the uh one of my friends in in la described uh, i'm very into like imperial imperial bourbon barrel stouts like the heavier the better oh, like man, it, once it starts bourbon barrel age stuff once it starts leaning towards like 12 13 the happier i am because i only need like four <laughs> ounces and i'm happy for the night you're just lit it's like when you're in high school and you drink a four loco but it's like <laughs> but my friend called them rohypnol level stouts oh my it, god it, that always stuck with me yeah oh my god what was that movie the wolf of wall street where he was like this is full cerebral palsy <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah yeah that's me after like two of those yeah yeah oh my gosh all right well well, I guess there you have it. This beer's kind of weird. It's like tea. If you like tea, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not experienced enough with Gozas. Like, I'm worried somebody's going to listen to this and be like, you're just a Goza right. noob, you Goza noob. And like I'm just going to feel really bad. Like, I don't know. I just don't know enough about them or how they're supposed to taste or what it's supposed to be like to know if it's right or if it's good. Like, it could be good. I just don't know if it's good. That's that's impersonator syndrome. Don't feel that. Like, oh, just let God. it go. Like, you know. But yeah, I mean, it, the weirdness of it, though, would make me want to try other stuff from their brewery. That's what got me into the Berliner thing. Yeah, like so, I would go there like, and see what they have. Yeah, you know? like at the very beginning of this year, like this year's the first year that I've been into Berliners at all. Yeah. And at the very beginning of this year, I went by this spot in North Raleigh. It's called... I don't remember what it's called right now. It honestly doesn't matter. They had this beer from Untitled Art, which... If you've ever oh, drank yeah, anything yeah, from Untitled yeah. Art, is really cool. So Untitled Art does no repeating beers, period. Yeah. It's only limited runs, and that's it. So anything that you get from them, you have to get it then. It's never coming back. They never remake it or anything. Yeah. And they put out this one Berliner that was a rocket pop Berliner. I saw so that. It was like a Berliner I saw that at pharmacy. With, and, yeah, yeah, it had blueberry juice, cherry juice, and lemon juice in cool. it. Cool. And it legit was like uh-huh. translucent blue. It looked like blue drink. Wow. And it tasted like a rocket pop. Like Do you remember what percent? Like was it very light? Do you remember percent? Yeah, it was, it was like 4% or something. Four, okay. Like it was okay. pretty light. It was like 4.2. Cool. And I wanted to go back and get it and I drug my feet on it and I didn't. And then uh, I fucked up because it's gone. Yeah. yeah it's there, there is no more anywhere. Wow. Yeah. I've heard I, I've they put out some sort of weird s'mores stout something I had a while ago that was okay incredible, um, and then again I never saw it again. Like there was one can at pharmacy I had it, and that was it. It was just gone. You know. Yeah, I feel like you would really like. There's like this peanut butter chocolate stout that's really good. It's like I can't remember what it's called. I'll have to figure it out. Yeah, but it, it's good. It's one of the ones that I like. Um, 
And I guess since we're talking about stouts, like, I don't know if you do this, but so to me, stouts are a little bit too heavy. I always have a hard time with them, especially the heavier they get. But what I do like to do is even though I don't like porters, I do like to mix porters and stouts together like 50 50. Oh, okay. And they make like a whole other drink. So like that stout that I was talking about, the pumpkin spice um, Milky Way. I don't like the normal pumpkin. uh, It's not pumpkin spice. I don't like the normal Milky Way stout really at all. Like it's just not really my thing. Um, And Trophy makes another beer called, I don't remember what it's called, but it's a horchata porter. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't really like it by itself either. You can't drink a lot of it though. Uh Uh-uh. But if you mix those two together, it makes a whole other beer and it's fucking amazing. Okay. It's the same thing with Big Boss. So I don't like Bad Penny, which is their brown ale. Right, And I don't like Harvest Time, which is their pumpkin ale. But if you mix Bad Penny and and Harvest Time together, it makes this like pumpkin brown ale and it's great. That sounds amazing. I would drink that. It's really great. Like I... I'm very into it, but I don't like the beers. <laughs> yeah. but it's just weird. I have, there's these beers. I'm like, I hate them by them. I don't mean I don't hate them, but I yeah. don't like them by themselves. But when you mix them with something, boom, it's a great. Yeah. Like that used to be a normal thing people did in England and stuff. You know, you get uh, black and tans and, and, and then they had all these variations. I remember when I went to Ireland, there was like 50 different variations of black and tans. You know, they had like the snake bites and the different stuff. And like, it was all, you know, when you get down to it, it was just basically like Guinness and Heineken. You know, it was just like yeah. different mixes, <laughs> but they were amazing. Like, you know, they're mixing stuff up, but it was great. Not that I'm saying they're like the purveyors of like beer mixing culture or something, but it's like, right. it was cool that you could go over there and get all these different things. You don't really see that when you're just going to like breweries, right? Because North Carolina is very brewery heavy. You know, you're going to, yeah, you're going to go get the beers that they're making and that's what you have, you know? So it's interesting though. Yeah. It, it's interesting when you mix beers. We're kind of getting off topic a little bit Way for a very long time, but yeah. I don't know that last beer comment we're going to make before we get into the episode, but yeah. have you guys ever had, it's like, again, my brain doesn't work, uh, but it's like you take PBR and you like mix it with pomegranate juice or something. No. Yeah. It's like a thing. Okay. It's horrible. like it's really really terrible but it's a thing people love it yeah i had a friend of mine who's a music writer he came home from uh he went to brazil for a while and he came back and we were at a house party and he came in and he was just like he's like hey this is what everybody's drinking down there and he mixed red wine with coca-cola oh barf yeah and i'm just like "Eh, i'm good like i'm not even gonna try that yeah that just really sounds bad yeah all right, guys. So that's it for our beer section. Sorry, we kind of just like ran along forever, but you know, whatever. Chatty Kathy's over here. Um, but yeah. So Jake, <laughs> yeah. what are we talking about today? So uh, yeah. So this week we're diving into uh, after all the beer talk, we're diving into a bit of a, a heavy topic, um, basically social media and mental health and how uh, social media companies have uh, kind of taken our attention as their product and looked at it and we're going to run through how we went from you know prodigy and usenet to now Netscape. yeah and mindspring <laughs> exactly and and how now we're at tiktok and i'm sure there's probably one after tiktok now that i'm too old to know about yeah as soon as we got rid of well we haven't even got rid of it russian botware yeah, <laughs> yeah. and now there's probably some new one i don't even know about 
There has to be. There, I'm sure it's there's always a new one. So, okay. So as we were doing the research for this episode, it got so broad because this is one of those ones where every single thing that we could talk about has like 19 other things that we could talk about associated with it. So I, I feel like we have so many way too much notes. I'm not even really sure where we start. Like, where do we start? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess let's start at the beginning. You know, so uh, taking things back to kind of how social media started and, and, and using as how these platforms began, you know, when you look back at the or, origin story of social media, you go back to something like Prodigy and Usenet. And I you, don't even know what that is. Prodigy? Yeah. Like, am okay. I too young? I started on MySpace. You may be a little too. Okay. Yeah. So you're definitely So like that was my first one. So I, what am I, 10 years older than you? Something yeah, like that? Something, yeah, something. So it's, um, so Prodigy, I had Prodigy. I remember my, my family, we moved to Florida in 1984, something along those lines. Okay. And my grandparents got a computer. It was probably like a 8086 or something because I remember you had to boot it with like floppy disks. Oh my God. Yeah. It, our first computer was not that old. It was like a Dell. Okay. Yeah. No, Dell didn't exist. Like, okay. So, this was you literally took the phone and put it on top of the computer and it read the 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 squealings of the modem. Oh my god. <laughs> and yeah, it was one of those things. And and Prodigy was this like walled garden that you entered into where there was all these forums and they had these very basic like text games. And there were people you could talk to, but it was pretty limited. But like you could already see like how people communicating in this thing was developing and working. Okay. Um and then you know, stuff like that kind of like happened for years. It went on for, for about a decade where it was like that turned into BBSs where, you know, we had people logging in and playing Starcon and like all these crazy games and, and you know, all of them are text-based and we were in there doing Hex Editor and fixing these things. And it's just silly stuff. And then like it really, when that really, really started was like AOL is where people started actually being able to interact on like a level that you could start calling social media. Okay. You know, okay, so yeah, AOL, like AIM. Yeah, exactly. Instant Messenger, which was like 1998, you know. So Instant Messenger starts, everybody's got their handles and they're talking to people. And, you know, that's when it really starts to develop and when people are able to communicate with each other without without anything in the in the way. You know, this was a text message based, you know, I mean, not text message like on your phone, but it was text based. Talking. Right. It was like um, Oregon Trail. Exactly. Kind of yeah, stuff. yeah, exactly. Like, text like most people would know what that is, I think. That's pretty popular. Yeah, I mean, you can get Oregon Trail shirts at Target now. Yeah. You know, it's a I died of dysentery or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and so AOL Instant Messenger is was in I was in college when that was like a big thing in 1999. Okay. I was and, in like middle school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that was how everyone in my college communicated was in, you leave your instant messenger up, you, you, you hooked it to your Winamp and that would show what songs you were listening to. And, you know, it was all oh my that gosh. Stuff. I loved Winamp. It was the best. Reskinning, reskin. That was the first program that let you reskin. Yep. That I knew of. Yeah. And I loved it. And you could make the playlist because I had like, I would make new sleep play- playlists every night. Ooh. Yeah. It was out of control. <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, that, that really took off. And, the, and that was where people started realizing that they had to put on a face to the world. Okay. So, you know, you had your away message, which, you know, is, nowadays that, that's not a thing. But, like, you had your away message where you would say something was happening and people would read it and judge you and you would think about that. And, and it was the first time people really realized they had to, like, think about their lives in that manner. And so from there, I mean, we basically moved straight into MySpace, you know, and 
when I was in my, when I was doing MySpace, I was a I was a music writer in South Florida, and so I was using it to look at bands and listen to music and find these people to interview and all that stuff. And then I had my own bands that I was putting up my own songs, and so the thought process of like what you had to do to put on a public face, that was where that really really began, you know. And you're looking at it as a way to to show your brand to the rest of the world. And that's where a lot of that anxiety starts. You know? Okay. Yeah. Cause I can remember, you know, the, when I signed up for MySpace, the whole thing with that is no matter what, you always have one friend. Yeah. And Tom. it's, yeah, yeah. And it was Tom and yeah. it was just, I mean, my boy, was that ever, <laughs> was that really the guy? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you started out MySpace with one friend mm-hmm. and then as MySpace progressed, it became like, more and more important for you to keep up with what all the other people do were doing, like using HTML to like reprogram the way that their MySpace looked. And you could like make the whole background pink and all your text have like twinkly shit on it. (laughs) And, you know, you could add modules to it to like have your top friends and have it play a song. When people come to your MySpace, it plays a song and like, you can't stop it. Like if you're looking at their page, it's playing the song and like (laughs) all of this stuff. And it's like you would look and, you know, later on if you were starting on MySpace and there's all these people who had already done this stuff and all your friends have like these custom UIs and stuff mm-hmm. on their MySpaces and then you have the blank one, you know what I mean, or any of the ones that you could choose from. Yeah. You were automatically just like, oh, shit, like I don't know how to HTML. Like what am I going to do? Yeah. You know, and you had to like pay some e-girl like $200 to like program <laughs> you a UI. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, and then the whole top friend thing, you know, what was it? Eight? You had your top eight, top yeah. 10 or, or whatever top, it was? Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was like top six or top eight. Or sure. And like I mean, that. like, you know, the anxiety and stress that went into that because that was a whole, you know, I was, I was well out of, I, you know, I was out of college at that point, but I can imagine going back to like, you know, high school your top eight has to be your friend click. You know, you can see right. how it directly relates to something like Mean Girls, you know. And, and it was a thing. Like, it has to be. If yeah. you were in someone's top eight and they were in your top eight, y'all were like tight. And the way, like there wasn't any unfriending really. Like you didn't, yeah. un, like unfriending someone on MySpace was like stabbing them in the back. <laughs> but and But within that, there was this like, if you removed them from your top friends... That was like, uh, like punching them. Or it was over. Like, yeah, end like of the world. Like yeah. it was like I'm mad at you, but I'm not going to unfriend you because I still want you to see my page. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there, I mean, it wasn't like Facebook where you could do a relationship, but there was definitely right. like that first slot. You know, right. and I'm I'm assuming if you had a girlfriend at the time, she had to be in slot number one. Yeah, I mean, my 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 MySpace <laughs> at the time was. Uh, I, like I said before, I was a, I was a music writer, and so I used it to look for bands and stuff. So I made um, eight different accounts for. I had a hairless cat at the time, and I made eight different accounts for my hairless cat, and that was my top eight. And, oh my uh, god, that's hilarious! Yeah, because like because um, bands were pressuring me. Li- literally, bands were pressuring Will me. Will you to make put me them. your top eight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is in South Florida, so like you know, there's all these crazy metal bands, and they would show up when I'm at like these weird venues, and they're like. Telling me I got to put them in their top eight and all this stuff and like no, he, dude, my hairless cat's eight accounts. Have yeah, top I'm eight, like, so. sorry, this is all booked up. Oh my god. Yeah, and well, for a long time, people thought I actually had eight hairless cats because they were different photos. That would be even better. Yeah, I wish I did. Well, What's no, the dream? That probably would have been a mess. But so 
the other thing about MySpace that was really different in the evolution of uh, social media is that MySpace was uh, essentially text-based only, if I remember. There wasn't really any yeah. posting pictures. There was no linking. You couldn't share There stuff. were some photos. It was limited. Yeah. Yeah. But you couldn't like. There was no liking. There was they no the commenting. Bulletin. There was no re-commenting. Yeah. You would just say stuff to other people. Right. On your wall, and that was it. Yeah. There was no IM built in. There was nothing. Like, it was extremely basic. Yeah. But it seemed very complicated. It did at the, at the time. time. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And a lot of that was wrapped up in, like, the whole psyche of, like, what is this? Like, trying right. to figure this out. You know, so when you're looking at like this whole new platform, you know, and and we'll talk about this in a bit, but like, you know, we still have very primitive brains, you know, and we're yeah. we're looking at like something entirely new. Like our brains don't know how to approach that, right? And um, but yeah, I mean, but so you know, we have we'll talk about that, but like, but MySpace, moving on from there, I mean, immediately, like you know, MySpace launched in 2003, but Facebook launched in 2004, like right on its tail. That's crazy. Yeah, but like... Well, okay, that makes sense to me because I wasn't in on the first however many number of years Facebook was up. Right. So for the first, what was it, four or five years, it was college only. You had to have a college email address to even get Yeah, because I account. think it was 2000 and... Wait, what did you say? 2004 is when it launched. Eight is when it like really started people grabbing onto it. Okay, so it was 2006 when it went live to high school. Okay. Because I knew... We, yeah, I was a senior when I created my um when I created my Facebook account and the only reason I was able to get one is because I had a .edu email address. Ah, okay, yeah. So I was uh I was the editor of my uh of of my college in my college newsroom and somebody had come oh, look up at to you, me, fancy pants. Mr. Fancy pants. <laughs> and somebody came up to me and they had made me an account. What? Yeah, and they were like here and they just like Gave me a post-it with my login on. Are you still using the same one? Uh, that yeah. would be a, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. That, that is the same one. I don't. I don't think. So I've you didn't it. even sign yourself up for Facebook. No, no. And, and it's. <laughs> I, I. I don't think I ever changed. There's no way I ever changed it. I mean, I never did anything. But like now, I can't. You know, I, I've been wanting to delete my Facebook forever, and my wife gets upset because I talk about it all the time and I never do it. Yeah. But I have photos going back. You know, twelve years that I don't have anywhere else. And it's really difficult to get those downloaded and all that stuff. But I want to say there's actually a way. So I've had the same thing. I've wanted to get rid of my Facebook forever. I hate Facebook. I think it's horrible. Yeah. Like I hate being on it. I hate using it. I hate the stress of seeing that little number bubble <laughs> on my phone. Like it just, I hate it. I hate everything about Facebook. I hate the sharing. I hate the like button. Yeah. I hate, having all these friends that I have to manage and you get signed up for stuff you can never unsign up for. And now it's linked into like, not into PayPal, but like logins for stuff where like oh, yeah. if I'm on my phone and I'm lazy, I'll be like login through Facebook and oh, I have yeah. like 90 things linked to that. So it's like, if I get rid of it, I'm like fucked on all this other stuff. Yep. Um, and I've wanted to get rid of it forever. And I want to say at, there was a time where I was very serious about it. Like I was really, really close. And one of the things, again, I didn't want to get rid of was all of my pictures I've had right. compiling on there. And I want to say, I don't know if it's up there now. I would need to look. But somewhere in the settings, I think there's a way for you to export everything in your oh, Facebook. I would do that. Definitely. Like it drops all of the pictures and everything into like a zip file. Yeah. So my excuse for a long time was I use it for work. Because like, you know, I, I work in marketing and I do some marketing. Stuff. Yeah. Mine was like I use it for bands. Yeah. And so I had like... 
I ran a lot of Facebook ads through work stuff. And so I was using my personal account for that, yeah. for the freelance stuff I did. And then one day I was just like, forget it. And I just started a new account and you and moved all my work stuff over to that. And then for some reason, I still didn't delete my other one. So now you have two accounts. Now I have two Facebooks. Double the it's stress. Horrible. Yeah, oh exactly. Gosh, that sounds terrible. So one of them I never look at, but yeah, still. And, and that's the interesting part is like, Nowadays, you know, it's this fully grown up thing. But like, as we were leaning into it and just figuring it out, you know, it was it was really around 2009 when when the like button came out, you know, and that's the little thumbs up. They jumped jumped into it. Yeah. And that was like the real, you know, we talked about like the beginning of like feeling the stress and like being part of it and all that stuff. But like. The like this is how they got you like involved in it like emotionally invested exactly exactly and so that is that is where the beginning of it like really really started because the the part of your brain that is like reward versus effort is rewarded in that sense you know or where you're looking for approval exactly exactly and that yeah the like button and its first advent was purely approval right and Man, I still see this today. Like one of one of my coworkers posted something on Instagram where they were talking about the effort you put into something and how many Instagram likes you return out of it. And it was just this moment where I stared at this thing and I thought, wow, there's this guy who's in his late 40s who's really focused on getting Instagram likes for a picture. Yeah. And it was kind of baffling to me because I, w- I was surprised that people are still doing that. And then I realized that there's still a lot of people that are like out there, like grinding on hashtags all day long and like really putting the effort into it. And like, yeah, I mean, there's entire applications you can download for your phone where you can put in like uh, topics yeah. that you want. Like, so like I used to own a company that manufactured e-liquid like nicotine for vaping. Yeah. And so I was in doing that, I had to be obsessed with, hashtags because that's how I got engagement. Yeah, absolutely. And so I had multiple applications on my phone where I would put in a handful of topics into it and then it would export to me. It would go across the internet, look at all the hashtags across all of the internet yeah. and figure out which ones apply to that topic and which ones are getting the most engagement and then it would report back to me a list of all of those hashtags. And then I would take that list out of like six or seven different hashtag uh, algorithm generator dealies and I wow. would delete all the ones that were common with them and then look up each hashtag individually to figure out how much engagement it's getting currently. Yeah. And then only take the top 20 or something like that because Instagram limits you to like 20 hashtags. Right. And then I would have to remove one so that I could add like my company hashtag. Wow. And so then, and I was doing that constantly as I was recycling. And it was crazy because before I started doing that, my engagement was really limited. But after I started doing that, my engagement like exploded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a game. It's a game, and those are the rules that you have to play by. Yeah. You know, and it's um, when I was in Los Angeles, I was doing a lot of like film photography. You know, I mm-hmm. still do it once in a while, but like, um, so I was involved in like these, a couple of groups that were doing film photography. And we would go and they would have all these events where people would like dress up and you would go under this like random bridge and like people would take photos and all this stuff. And I noticed when I went to like post or I would look for what people were posting that there were just, just people who just like taking photos and they, they were like grinding hard on hashtags. They were like, that was, they were writing them like trying to build their personal brand on this, but it wasn't, this wasn't their job. This was just like their hobby. Yeah. And I think there's a definite tie-in for um, 
how lately the world has, if you have a hobby, you have to be the best at it. You know, like if you, yes. if you're crocheting, you have to be the best crocheter in the tri-city area that you live in. Right. It's like the first time you saw that picture of the crocheted beard. Beanie, yes. That thing, was all yeah. And it yeah, exploded yeah. across the internet and that person yep. went viral. And then all of a sudden, like wish had all of these oh, crocheted yeah, yeah. beard yeah. beanies. Like it, it's crazy. Yeah. And so it, there wasn't the 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 way the social media grew up you weren't able to just enjoy your hobbies anymore you know so like right. i remember when i was younger before all this stuff like i would sit around and listen to records i'd go out and take photos do this stuff but now when you interact with a lot of people that do the same stuff like they're and this makes me sound like a grumpy old man which maybe i am but they're like their hobby they have to be the best at it. they have to be focused on it, it has to be 100% they have to be growing in it and it has to be like a side hustle for them. Yeah. Like your hobby has to be a side hustle and you can't just enjoy it, you know? Yeah. I definitely feel that like has infiltrated like video games and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Because like if I think about back in the day when I was playing stuff like Final Fantasy or Metal Gear Solid or Spyro or whatever, the goal was just to have fun and and get to the end of the game. Yeah. And the game was hard, so sometimes you got frustrated or whatever, but there was no real like competition to it. And even when you did get into like the competition level type games, like when uh Call of Duty 4, the first Modern Warfare came out, or even the second one, I think even into the third one, there really wasn't that much that they were doing to make it feel like you had to be the absolute best possible person at the game before they started putting statistics on top of it. And then now with the way social media is and Reddit and YouTube and now Facebook has the, that like former mixer partners thing and the people coming off of Twitch and all that kind of stuff where it's like, you're just like having all of this data about how awesome they're all of these people are out there at this thing that you enjoy. And it's just in your face all the time. And you know, even with me, like I play Apex Legends a lot and like I'm sure. not amazing at it, but I'm also not terrible at it. But at the same time, there's like this thing in the back of my head that's like watching these videos on Reddit and yeah. watching the pro streamers and stuff yeah. like that. And I'm like, I'll never be that good, but I want to be that good. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it makes me like think about it. Yeah. No, I mean, and it comes down to like, you know, both of us drive kind of like unique vehicles. And if yeah. you just, if you just go on Instagram, like, the hashtags for the cars we drive are endless. Like, yeah, and people make it their life, you know? Yeah, like there's entire groups out there, hundreds of thousands of people for Jeep shit. Yeah, yeah. And same, I mean, like, you know, I just bought a Miata. And like, it, it's <laughs> endless. It's literally yeah. endless. Like, I didn't realize like how many people were on Instagram like going crazy over Miatas. And I'm like, I just want to drive around with the top down and like have some fun, you know? I know. It's like, I'm just I just want it. to be out on the beach and now I get pressure of people waving at me. And if I don't wave, they like give me the finger. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Appar- apparently in Miata's you have to flick your lights. I didn't know that. Like I just, oh, I didn't that. know that either. Yeah. It's I like did, a thing you have to do. I don't Yeah. I don't know. Um, when I had my Jetta, we would always just pull up next to each other and talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Germans. Um, and uh, yeah, it's crazy. Cause like, so you know, as as these things developed, like from Prodigy straight through to like MySpace and Facebook, when basically we got like locked into our hobbies and locked into our different stuff, mm-hmm. it's they realized there's there's money to be made. You know, there's and, and it all comes down to there's money to be made, and what they're literally selling is the attention. 
It's our attention is the product. They want us to be looking. That's why YouTube's algorithm is based on watch time versus anything else. You know, they don't care how many, I mean, they do care, but it's the biggest thing in the world isn't how many likes or dislikes, what your ratio is on YouTube. You know, it's, it's not views, it's watch time. How many hours are people looking at your videos? You know, and yeah. And I know the way that YouTube has sort of a semi-unique um, way that its algorithm works. It works kind of similarly, similarly to the way that Facebook's um, like forever scrolling video right. thing yeah. works, where they want to use the algorithm to figure out how much time you're spending on videos and what kind of videos you're watching so that it can strategically place the next video to keep you mm-hmm. watching forever. So it's like the next video has a, has a statistical likelihood to make you want to watch it. And then based on that video and how long you watch it, the next video, and it yeah. will just keep placing videos one after another dependent upon like, so like if you skip a video, every video after that will oh, change, change to Instantly. something different. Yeah. And um, yeah. And Facebook's is a similar way. And so like there's people who always say, like when you go on YouTube, if you want to try and decrease the way that YouTube is like manipulating your data, never ever watch or not not watch it, but don't click on the recommended video. If that okay. video seems interesting to you, instead of clicking on the recommended video button while that video is in the recommended slot, remember the name of the video, go out of it, search for the video oh. and then watch it. And yeah. then it won't like track it correctly or something. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, and we should, we should do a whole thing on this. There's, there's endless amounts of data and research into the YouTube algorithm and how it like yeah. radicalizes people and how it does really crazy stuff. Yeah. Like Facebook's is way worse. Yeah. Yeah. Facebook kind of just drags people in kicking and screaming into that stuff. And, uh, you get served weird stuff. A couple of days ago, I, uh, I followed, two really high level like QAnon people on Twitter uh-huh. just to see like I wanted to see just how see what would happen. Yeah. And within 24 hours, a good 50% of my feed was their retweets who they were looking at. And my, my Twitter feed went from all car stuff and, and different things to like just QAnon time 24 seven. Right. And this comes on the heels of when they were banning all that stuff. Yeah. And it's I still, have- Right in there. You know? Yeah, I had a similar thing happen recently where somebody sent me a, a link to basically it's like a flat top grill top okay. that sits on top of a gas oven, like a okay. gas range, and it works like you know, like a flat iron. And he was just like, Oh man, this thing is so cool. I want to get <laughs> one for my house. Like, what do you think? And I clicked on the link and I looked at it for like two minutes. I was like, Yeah, that's it. It seems badass. Like, I kind of want one. And yeah. I closed it and then over the next week, <laughs> every single advertisement I got was for this company. And it's crazy. Like I feel like we're there's like two different paths we can run down now. But as far as the yeah. attention thing, there's actually a word for that. And it's called attention extraction economics. Yeah. And it's this theory essentially that what they want you to do is or what the platform is and the algorithms are really designed to do is to get you to pay attention to them. They want as much time of your eyes staring at their platform and using their platform as possible. Yeah. And they use all kinds of nefarious tactics to make it happen. Yeah. And that stuff, I mean, that started with some basic kind of like psychological tricks that are 
pretty old, you know. And so, you know, going back to somebody like B.F. Skinner, who did this experiment with pigeons, basically this guy got a bunch of pigeons in a room and set up their feeding schedule so that when they wanted to eat something, they'd push a button. And when they pushed the button, they would either get a little bit of food, a lot of food, or a medium amount of food. And what he did was he set was, up this... It was random, right? Yeah, it was completely random. Okay. So they, they would get this completely randomized food amount. And then once they realized that it was a random amount of food, they would just start pushing the button wildly because they didn't know how much they were going to get. So they would just try to store as much as possible. That's crazy. Yeah. And so that's how essentially what they figured out how the human brain works in casinos when you go to slot machines. Okay. So when you go to a slot machine, you pull the arm, spin, spin, spins. You don't know what you're going to get. You can win a penny. You can win nothing. You can win $50. Right. And so when you don't know what you're going to get, you pull, pull, pull based on the same weird biological function that they had derived from these like pigeon experiments that they figured out that you wanted to have as much as possible. Right. It's like that idea that like the next one's going to be the one that wins. Exactly. And then when it doesn't, it's like the next one's going to be the one that wins. The next one's going to exactly. win. The next one's going to win. You just keep pulling, 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 pulling. Exactly. And so when you are at the top of your Twitter feed, nowadays, it used to be chronological. You would see. I loved it when it was chronological. It was the best. You would see what the last person wrote and you would pull down and you'd be like, oh, I guess nobody else tweeted anything. And you'd throw your phone back in your pocket and you'd walk around and go about the rest of your day. Right. Now you scroll it down and all of a sudden you've got something for Time Magazine. You've got something from Joe Biden. You've got something from yeah. you know, you somebody else. You get to else. the end and it starts giving you another, another like if I'm thinking about Instagram, yeah, a, another endless feed of stuff that you don't follow that they think you might be interested in. So oh, now yeah. to get back to your feed, you actually have to click like two buttons Yeah, yeah. to get back to your feed and out of the recommended feed. And the other thing about it, like with Instagram, so they used to have a chron- chronological order set up mm-hmm. as well. I never really got into Twitter, but I was, I've always been really into Instagram. Yeah. And at some point they swapped from the chronological order uh, set up to the algorithmic setup. Right. And so now Instagram doesn't show you anything in chronological order. It shows you to you in the order in which it thinks you're going to be interested in the post. Yep. And what it can do with that is actually like remove posts from your feed and then feed them to you later at a time where not as much content's coming through. Right. So like I'm sure all of us have had this situation where like you're flipping through and like you kind of get to the end and you're like, uh, uh, no more, you know, there's <laughs> no more posts to see. And then you give it that like one last flick and then all of a sudden like two or three or five more posts show up, but they're from like four days ago. Yep. And you're like, what? Yeah. Like, where, did I these come where, from? Did, where did these come from? Like, yeah. why didn't I see this over the past four days? Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's there and you're like, Oh, well, I mean, great. Or And like Facebook does a similar thing. And I think so does Twitter. It's like, oh, well, it would have been great if I'd known about this yeah. four days ago when it happened, especially with like businesses being on there and stuff. You would like, yeah. um, like I think Instagram just knows I love trophies. So it's always showing me the trophy post. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like if a beer launch was had happened like last minute spur yeah. of the moment and it happened four days ago and then all of a sudden post comes through and I'm like, oh, it could have been known that. Four days yeah. ago. And, and the same yeah. thing with stories. They mix them all up. You, you yeah. Don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when we first started talking about the stuff around this episode, the massive amount of information around this episode, one of the things that we first started talking about was that movie, The Social Dilemma. Yeah. And one of the one of the scenes in that movie that really cracked me up was when uh, him and his friend were sitting on like, they were in like a school cafeteria or something, the fictional characters in the movie. Yeah. It, 
Yeah, it was him and his friend. They were like sitting in two chairs. Is this the scene where he's like, he's going to go talk to the girl and right. he doesn't, and the guys like feed him a yeah. comment from what's her they name? They start blowing him up with yeah, like yeah. with like the algorithm. Because it knew they were nearby each other. Yeah, yeah. And Which then, that is real. That happens. Exactly. And and uh, the funny part of it was like they were feeding him that stuff from, from the, the person who's nearby. And then all of a sudden yeah. they were like, wait, we're losing him. Hit him with something else. And then they hit him with like a, a something from a couple of days ago, and then they hit him with something else, and then they hit an ad. They were like, "Oh, throw throw out the new sneakers or whatever the kid was into." Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, I think we've got a one percent chance of getting a click on this ad," and they toss it out there. And it's, you know, in the movie they made it seem kind of nefarious, like there are these, they, you know, there's, there's, these there's people, someone back there doing right, it. like there's it's these three like nerds that. in a box trying to figure it out, but it's not. It's just AI, like yeah. it's in there, you know. And it's not the AI, it's not Arnold Schwarzenegger coming back in the future, but it's like... Right, it's not the Terminator feeding you Facebook ads. Right, it, <laughs> it's definitely like a learning algorithm that can figure it out. You know, there's nothing... It's not even a complicated thing these days. Yeah, you know? and like the algorithm itself really isn't nefarious. And I know they kind of touched on that a little bit in the in that particular documentary, which a lot... Uh, if you guys have watched that documentary, it's really engaging and yeah. I thought it got a lot of good information about it. A bunch of people came out and were really mad about it because, you know, whatever techie social justice warriors didn't get pulled in as much <laughs> as they wanted to and they got mad at the producers yeah. and whatever. And a number of articles have come out that I've read and some other stuff refuting some of the ways that they went about trying to achieve their goal and they thought it was a little too biased and it was a little too straight down the direction that they wanted to go and didn't really explore as much as people wanted them to. Um and now I forgot what my point was. What was I talking about? <laughs> well, it's, it's it's hard when you're making a movie like that because, well, first of all, they integrated this whole kind of strange fictional narrative into it. But I think that helped introduce a lot of ideas that they normally wouldn't be able to. Yeah. And, you know, they summed up a lot of heavy scientific research. And, and the part that my wife and I still talk about is when they locked their phones in that plastic box that had the dial, like the timer yeah. on it, and the little girl just grabs a hammer, it. breaks it, smashes it open. And, and they were all like, uh, and I'm like, the family blows it off. They I'm like, even, that's a little, that's a little flimsy. Oh, my parents would have beat me into a coma. Like it's, you know, it's, it's wild. But like that scene sums up a lot of the ways that like your brain interacts and needs that like yeah you know, it's it's an addiction it's a straight up 100 addiction yeah like if, it went a little over the top with it, it did, but i yeah. think it had to to kind of deliver the message and make you be like make you stop and think about it like yeah. i don't think that that is really that and maybe i don't know because i'm not 14 yeah but that just seemed like a fairly unrealistic situation like i can't really imagine that happening but at the same time i'm like I don't really know that it wouldn't happen, yeah. but I knew what they were trying to communicate by it. And I understood the point. Yeah. I, man, I don't know. I, I have a almost three-year-old and when I put Elmo up on the big TV, she looks at it like he's inventing fire for the first time. Yeah. Like it's, she, she is so in awe of it that like the way her brain works, when she just like shuts down, looks at it. That's, I mean, that's why we don't give her a lot of access to, to TV and Obviously yeah, shows, there's statistics it. about that. We're going to talk about that next episode. And it's crazy. Like it's a really, it's a really bizarre thing. And like the, the whole, the whole thing, the awe aspect is something that's really interesting is because, you know, while social media has come from, you know, we've been looking at prodigy through what it is today. 
And even if you go back to like when, you know, the whole joke, computers were the size of rooms, uh, you look at the, the, the amount of like growth computers have had, all that stuff. In all of that time, our brains haven't really graduated further along the line as, as technology has. Right. We still have like, you know, I hate to say it, but like, like primate brains. Like our brains yeah. are still hunks of gray goo that are still just trying to keep up and trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, 10,000 years ago, if we went, if you took a, a, you know, a paleolithic person and you put them in a movie theater and they saw Harrison Ford 40 feet tall in an IMAX theater, they would instantly just start worshiping him. Right. And they wouldn't even know how to react to it. it. They would probably just like, you know, wet themselves and run away. And, our brain is still trying to like cope with that. Like, yeah. you know, and that's why we get dopamine hits when Twitter has one more tweet for us. You know, yeah. And, stuff. I, and I mean, to me, that kind of makes sense because if you look at the way technology has progressed since the 1960s, technology has basically, it's grown essentially exponentially yeah. since then. Like it's, it's improved on itself 1 trillion times over. Wow. Like it's an, un, it's, to me, it's like almost an unfathomable amount of it is better that we're talking about. Like, right. Cause I, everybody's talked about, like you said, it's like computers used to be the size of rooms mm-hmm. and the processing power that it took for us to get to the moons in the 60 is the same amount of computing power that's in like one of those like $4 Casio, yeah. uh, you know, calculators it's not even as good as the uh the texas instrument like the what is it the ti-86 it's like not even as good as that one no it wasn't even as good as that like it was literally like a rotary counter yeah yeah. and you know and so now we like literally have this thing that has the entire world's worth of information and fake information in it manipulating us and we're using it to share cat videos and talk shit to each other right right right. (laughs) like it's just crazy Luckily, there's smart people doing smart stuff with it too. You know, it's yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I th- I think it was I man. I think I I think it was like a skit from like one of Rogan's standups when he was like, "If I drop you off in the woods in the middle of nowhere, how long until I get an email from you?" <laughs> you know, and it's like it's <laughs> until you reach signal, again. right? Yeah, unless so it's you have like, Verizon, then you get one right away. Well, I mean, if you don't like, I mean, I think the point was like, how long until you can invent a way to send an email? Oh, okay. You know, so like I was not following that one. Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to be out there like uh, Gilligan Island coconuts together and trying to get like an email out of it. And it's like his point was like, like, are people keeping an eye on smart people? Like, what are the smart people doing? You know, it's like, yeah, we got to make sure they're okay. You know, (laughs) like make sure they're breeding and we're all because we don't want to stroll into idiocracy, you know? Yeah. Like that's almost like a whole other conversation. Absolutely. Where it's like yeah. all the dum-dums are out here having kids and all the yeah. smart people are waiting till they're like 40 to have one kid. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Or no kids. Yeah. You know, that's a whole other conversation, but you know. So yeah. Yeah. So I mean, and that, and that kind of feeds into like, how are people using social media today in 2020? You know? So People like you and I and like, you know, and, and, you know, I'm an old guy in the business world. And so I'm on LinkedIn once in a while. And like my entire LinkedIn feed is people talking about how they can get off social media. I never go on LinkedIn. You probably shouldn't. It's, it's, it's like Facebook that hasn't matured yet. It's just, it's, and actually that's a horrible way to describe it, but it's a terrible platform to me. 
Yeah, like, but I don't I, enjoy being on it. I've gotten I've gotten almost every job I've ever had on LinkedIn though. Really? Yeah. That's almost, crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah, it it works. Yeah. Like it works. But yeah, but anyway, side side note though is the the people on there are constantly looking for ways to get offline. And you see there's people who spend thousands of dollars to go to technology detox clinics. And you know, they go off to the woods and they pay some guy you know, $3,000 for a weekend to like make sure he doesn't use his phone. I literally just did that last weekend and it was free. Yeah, exactly. I mean, anybody can do it. Yeah, But, (laughs) you know, I actually had a really interesting thing that I thought about while I was doing that. So um, my wife and I and um, her family, we went up to the mountains for like a weekend. And um, one of the things I love to do while I'm in the mountains is like find a really great spot, like right on the side of like a cliff hangover and hang my Eno up. Nice. And then just like hop in it and like fall asleep. That's awesome. And um, so I couldn't find a really good one, like right on a cliff, but I found one kind of near one. So where I could like kind of still see the view, but not really. And I could see trees above me and all this stuff. Um, But being up on the top of this mountain, I still had phone service. Yeah. And so like my phone was like dinging as I'm trying to lay there and I'm like, I should check my email. And I was like, Oh, I should check my Facebook. And I was like, now I should make an Instagram post about me laying in this hammock. And, and I, I saw I your should, Instagram post. Of being I, in yeah, there. yeah. I, I saw that. I know. I'm, t- I'm like, I'm you ruined it. I did. And, <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh, I should text my buddy and tell him how uh, nice it is up here right now. And then at some point I just kind of realized I was like, what am I doing Yeah, right now? And I actually, for the first time and probably since I've had a phone, turned my phone off for like 36 hours. That's awesome. That's amazing. It like powered it down. Yeah. That's the way to do it. And it was the best. Yeah. I loved it. Like I knew it was off. And so I just put it in my bag in the cabin. I literally didn't think about it for a day and a half. Yeah. I really, I really feel like in like 15, 20 years from now, people are going to look back at the way we use social media. Like now going back a couple of years at the same way as smoking. They're going to look at yeah. the same way as us smoking cigarettes. They're going to think, they're like, wow, you gave your, you just handed out your every minute of every day you were doing to people. Yeah. You know? I like, I hope so. Yeah. yeah I hope that same. that is a thing. Like that people look back at this, like the way that we are allowing this garbage to like ruin our lives. But, and not really because a lot of people use this kind of stuff to stay connected with their family and communicate yeah. with each other and keep track of stuff. And that's and important. Like, like my wife is in all these plant groups and they communicate like plant tips with each other and trade plants with each other. Right. That's what they do. And like, or like I'm in all these Jeep groups groups where people are like I'm having, like I've been having a problem with the electrical system in my Jeep recently. Yeah. And I like wrote a post and asked for help and all these people came out and helped me and like, um, not it's to instant. my house, but like, you know, they yeah. were like, you know, maybe try this. You don't maybe want to try this. House. You should look here. Um, <laughs> you know, and so there is all of this like ways that it's good and helpful and there's good communities, but it's like within that same community, there's like toxic assholes, of you know course. what I mean? And yeah. then all these negative effects that come from it as well. And like you know, with the election coming up, like people yelling at each other about yep. that and just, it's, I don't know. Like I can't tell personally if, like the stress and anxiety that it causes me is worth the amount of benefit that I get right, from staying connected right. to it. There's got to like, be a I way to know. limit and like, you know, I don't want to say protect yourself because that like yeah. makes it sound a little weird, but like there's got to be a way to like kind of temper that. I was in a local group for like dads in my neighborhood 
And it was by far the most toxic thing I had ever come across on um, the internet. Was it uh, Nextdoor? No, it wasn't on Nextdoor. Oh my it was God. just on if Facebook. If you guys have Nextdoor, never join it. Yeah, it's, I'm on Nextdoor for all of the horrible. super toxic Karens go to hate on their neighbors. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. It's the worst. Platform. It's all like I saw a copperhead and F you for looking at my dog. Well, like, some like I so I used to live in a downtown neighborhood and I used to get these posts all the time where it'd be like some like 65 year old Karen would be like, I saw a dark skinned gentleman oh walking boy. through the neighborhood earlier and I almost called the police and I'm like, shut up, Karen. I I will find it. <laughs> I will find it and post it. Uh, when we put this up, I'll post I'll post a screenshot of it with this. I have a screenshot from my next door when I first moved to North Carolina. Okay. And it was a guy saying to be careful because there's somebody going through his neighborhood trying to pet the dogs. And the reason you have to be careful is because he's going to pet your dogs and then he's going to break into your house and his dogs are going to be friendly to you or to him because he's already been out there and made a relationship with your dog. Uh, not my dog. No, <laughs> I, ha- I have three dogs and I don't care if you're their best friend in the world. If you walk into the house, they're going to tear you apart. Yeah, you my know? dog's the same way. I think yeah. Jake has met my dog like 54 times. Yeah. And he still is just like losing his right. mind. Yeah. Every time he comes in. Yeah. And my dog, I have to put my dogs away when people come over because they'll just jump on people and they, and they, yeah. they turn into a pack and they'll just like go after people, you know? Yeah. And this guy's like, if you pet this person's golden retriever, you're going to be able to break into their house later. Oh my God. Yeah. So I, mean, I it's, find that unlikely. Uh, very, very unlikely. <laughs> and yeah. So it's just, there's so much toxic garbage out there that just eats up your time. And same thing with the dad group I was in. It just, it was guys arguing over like how to properly clean driveways and like yeah. they would get into these 400 piece long threads where they're arguing over whether you bleach it or spray it or whatever. And it was like anger, just anger out there. And yeah. I'm sure these dudes are probably just like at their home with no manifest destiny of their own. And they're just, angry, yeah, yeah, you know? And so like they have their own life where they, you know, they can't do anything. So they're just on the internet screaming at people, whatever. And yeah. it's, it's, the buildup of that toxic garbage just adds this whole other element to, to social media that makes people want to like check out. Yeah. You know? Like I saw, um, I follow, I try to, I know some people think that Instagram is probably the most toxic or what I've heard people say yeah. that they think Instagram is the most toxic of the platforms. And I actually tend to really disagree with that. I think Twitter is the most toxic platform and I think Facebook is second. And I, I, I would agree with that. Instagram's way down the list from that because to me, there's a lot of positive stuff on Instagram and it really is not going to show you or push you towards that much shit that you're not interested in. Yeah. So like I follow a number of car pages. I follow a bunch of musicians. I follow a bunch of like guitar manufacturers and stuff like that. But then I also follow a bunch of like, um, body positivity pages and tattoo artists and art pages and digital artists and all this kind of stuff. And it's a lot and a bunch of it is like extremely positive. So I feel like when I'm going through, you know, my Instagram, it's like tattoo, cool car, motorcycle, body positivity, you know what I mean? And like it with it being an image based as opposed to a text based and there's no links in it. There's no articles you can post, but on Twitter you can post articles and say shit. And on Facebook, it's articles and you say shit. Um, it really is just like you can scroll through it really quickly and just get yeah. picture stuff happening. And people have, you know, now figured out that 
there's a lot of positive engagement when you have a picture with words on it and mm-hmm. the algorithm can't detect the right. picture with words. It can only detect what's in the caption. And so like, I don't know. And with you being able to share between stories and stuff, like I've shared a bunch of like male body positivity stuff. And I always have people call me back and be like, this is so great. I'm so glad cool. that you shared this. Like, this is so positive, you know? And yeah, like, yeah. it just seems like a more positive platform. Yeah, I mean that yes, and I feel like the way that I've kind of curated my Instagram it's really gotten to that place too. Yeah, like I just don't follow shit that I don't like and so right. it doesn't push me that way. And I feel like it's taken me a while to get there. Yeah, I've and had then, to unfollow a lot. Yeah, and then I put myself in the thought of like, you know, 14-year-old Jake who was when I was when I was 14 years old, I was like a really overweight kid who didn't have any friends and anything. Same. Yeah. And like, and I look back at that and I think if Instagram existed back then, it would probably be very, it'd probably be a really big problem. Yeah. Cause I doubt that there would be any body positivity posting happening. Sure. Or, or just following my local high school friends and getting bullied oh, and things yeah, yeah. like that. You know, it's different once you're an adult. Right. Exactly. I don't have to follow the cool kids. Exactly. I don't give a shit about those people. Uh, yeah. I don't, yeah. I literally could not care less. <laughs> like about those you. people are plumbers in the, in the middle of nowhere. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Not, not like, that there's anything wrong with plumbers. I yeah. Look and like I don't follow coworkers. Right. Exactly. Really, I mean, I might exactly. have like one or two that I'm sort of friends with or whatever. Put yourself, put yourself in the, in the mind of like a 14 year old girl yeah. who has an eating disorder who right. is in high school and just trying to get and along. all she follows is like fashion stuff and her friends and yeah. like Vogue magazine and e-girls and st- you know what I mean? Yeah. And stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, I'm making huge assumptions about young teenage girls right now, but sure. Yeah. But know. I feel like it's, I feel like it's like a no brainer. That's probably what's happening. I mean, I feel like that's yeah. probably what's happening in a lot of cases. I guess. I don't you know. know. It's, and, and I hope there's more education and understanding where people can, can, can fight that stereotype. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you, when you look at that, that's probably the super negative aspect that people are looking at, you know? Yeah. You know, people like us, like we're pretty much like in the cusp of our confident adulthoods, whatever that means. And I don't know. I sometimes don't feel that confident. I mean, I barely <laughs> ever do, but like, but, but at least like, at least I have a, I have a, like a, a bank account and, a, and I'm making yeah, money and I just like go do what I want, stuff. you know? Yeah. And I mean, I reassure myself that way too. Cause I'm like, at the end yeah. of the day, everything that happens on my phone is just bullshit. And I have, yeah. I'm married and yeah. Yeah. Like, know, like that's my the thing. only person who really I give a shit about. So. Right. Right. Like that's, that's the only person I have to impress. At the yeah. End of the day. And like, <laughs> I know, we'll probably talk about this next episode, but like on that front a little bit, like I've talked to my wife sometimes it's like, how horrible would it be to be single right now? Oh my God. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like to have to deal with not only social media, but dating apps and we'll talk about this next episode too, but trying to deal with like finding a relationship over social media with dating apps and being single in the middle of COVID. Like yeah. what a recipe for disaster. I mean, even, even pre, even pre COVID, I remember, in Los Angeles, one of our friends would like have a breakup or something. And yeah. we would suddenly think like, oh God, they're single in Los Angeles. How's that going to work out? You know? And here in Raleigh, it's a whole different story because there's like a different yeah. quality of person here. And it's, it's a little different world. Yeah. You know? I, it's a different thing. I mean, I have been here my whole life and yeah. I mean, I met my wife when I was like 23 okay, or 22. No, later than that. 24. And okay. so from my like 21 to 24 years, I lived downtown. 
Oh, and gotcha, okay. Raleigh, I feel like from outsider's perspective, seems like a big place. Shocker. It's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's not. Especially when you live downtown and you know all the bartenders and you know all the yeah. downtownies and you're all just like sleeping with each other. And, yeah. You know, and like it becomes a small spot real fast. I remember when I first moved to Raleigh, uh, standing on a street corner, turning around and thinking, wait a minute, that place is right there. Yeah. And wait, that other place is right there. They're right across the street from each other. And yeah. that happened like every week. Yeah. Like I always get people who move here really surprised because it's like your downtown's like six blocks. Right. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It's not big. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Sorry, you're getting off topic. A it is bit. off topic, but it's fine. It's I, <laughs> I just, I don't know. If you don't live here, please don't move here because I like Raleigh and I don't want it to get any bigger. Yeah, no more, no, no more, <laughs> no people. more people. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, coming off of the, the going back to putting yourself in the, the mind of somebody who's, you know, 14 years old and on, on Instagram. Yeah. You know, we talk about, like, what the possible solutions for something like that can be. I don't even know. I I don't know either. Like, I don't know how to really even fathom that question. Yeah. And so I personally, I spent uh, about five years working directly with Instagram, not Instagram, but social media influencers, mostly YouTubers. And so my job was I would help YouTubers basically build their platform outside of YouTube. So if they wanted a book deal, I would help them get a book deal. If they wanted to start a podcast, I'd teach them how to start a podcast. Okay. And so like that was my gig, essentially. So so I was with influencers a lot and like kind of talking to them about like what their day-to-day life was. And, you know, I'm not naming names here, but not many of them were happy. You know, yeah. a lot of them were overworked and not seeing kind of the fruits of their labors with that. They were they were unhappy in general because they felt like their entire lives were exposed to everyone. And then... It's like being on the Truman Show. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And so, like, the worst part about it, I remember there was there was a girl I worked with who was a, who was a video game influencer and e-girl. And she... Cool. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was nice. She was, she was super cool. A lot of them are really nice. Yeah, yeah. They she, just seem terrible on the internet. Yeah, and, and I think she might, like... She may fall into that, but she was in person. She was one of the most genuine people I ever knew. Yeah. And she told me one time that she really hated having her life out there because she always had to think about her emotional reactions before she had them. Yeah. And that stuck with me for a lot of years because like, well, first of all, I'm a guy. I'm not allowed to have emotions, whatever. You bury down in your oh stomach until it becomes a pit, whatever. Get out of my face with that. I'm trying to be positive. Right, right. So <laughs> so it's it, it was really bizarre because she was like, well, if somebody breaks up with me, I can't just go online crying because my fans and my followers don't even know that I'm in a relationship. So if right. I'm sad, yeah. they don't know why. Yeah. And so... Oh, so she has to be like faking it. Right. And like... Oh my gosh, that'd be so terrible. Right. And and the the specific girl I'm talking about, she was very genuine. She didn't like faking stuff like that. So like she tried being open, but then that would just open up her to more to like criticism and Yeah, like there's like this big backlash to it. Yeah. So and there was no winning answer. There's no solution where it worked. Yeah. I do feel like that kind of thing has changed a lot over the last number of years. Absolutely. As an example, I had a or not I had, I saw a very similar situation happen with someone recently and the 
effect um, that came out of it was totally different. Yeah. So there's a tattoo artist that I follow. I'm not going to say who it is and where, but she's an extremely attractive girl who tattoos very racy subject matter. Okay. And so um, she basically had this Instagram story that she posted where she was talking all about how she was starting a second Instagram so that she could post more personal stuff. And that it has, um, she started to try to post more of her own personal art pictures of herself looking kind of racy, you sure. know, on her tattoo Instagram. And she came out and had this whole write up where she was talking about how it really hurt her feelings that she had all these people out here saying how much they love her tattooing and love her art and can support that. And it's very, very racy. Yeah. And then for her to post pictures of herself, um, in this sort of racy way, these same people are coming out like saying horrible things about her, like calling her bad names, tra- yeah. trashing her basically. And she couldn't understand how people could support her art and the things that she creates and then not support her as a person. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I did, I sent her a little message and I said something very nice to her where I was like, this is basically bullshit. But, um, you know, in, she kind of started sharing some of the responses that he got. And it really was this outpouring of being like, these people need to stop doing what they're doing. And so I do think that I'm seeing this shift somewhat in like the personal responsibility aspect of social media, where people are more apt to realize that um, people are just going to say bad stuff. And there's an army of people waiting to be positive and force out the people that are being negative and um, just really like be supportive and positive to people so that we don't have situations like that happening as much now. And I don't know if that's true or if that's whatever there's, I don't have any statistics on that. That's just like what I've seen from looking around the internet and like to build on that a little bit, I think as this gets more popular and I don't put a lot of weight in what celebrities do or say or anything. Like when I listen to music as an example, I like the song. I don't care what the artist has to say about politics or whatever, but I do think it is um, very impactful when artists come out and say something meaningful in the music yeah. and not like in the news yeah, or, yeah. or whatever, or like come out on their Twitter and blast somebody. Like if you want to say something, say it using your platform, which yeah. is like use your art. Yeah, yeah. Which is your art. And so seeing stuff like um, Ludacris came out this year in 2020 and dropped yeah. that song, um, Silence of the Lambs. And mm-hmm. to me, that's one of the very first uh, like mainstream artists I've seen come out and really attack mental health and attack um, stuff like social media and politics as like a way that's fueling the mental health issues that are happening right now. And... Um, there's another point that I was going to make and now I forgot what it was. <laughs> I'll get back to it. In a, I'm sure. Um, but that song has some lines in it that crush. I mean, yeah. he come, like Luda comes out and it's very explicit, like comes out and just drops some shit. That's awesome. Yeah. I want to hear that. It's a good song too. Um, it's interesting. Cause like, you know, and you look at, if you go back to like, um, you know, the analog, the analog time, Yeah. you know, back in the day, you look at somebody like Neil Young who sings like a song like old man, you know, take a look at my life. I'm a lot like you. And he talks about like the angst of that time frame, And then, so like then now Ludacris has this song, yeah. which is like the angst of his time frame. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So like his art speaks at a different level of all that stuff. And if, um, 
you know, if you even go back, it's kind of interesting. Um, God, what was the name of it? Uh, Eminem's album Kamikaze that came out like uh, oh yeah yeah two years ago now maybe it was his first big album after that one that flopped a little bit yeah um but it was great it was an amazing it was one of the first Eminem's album albums I've listened to straight through for a while yeah like I know he's always been one to come out and really like say some shit like, yeah and he was a lot more mainstream than somebody like Immortal Technique who I always felt like yeah. was way more apt to say some super real shit. absolutely yeah um but the more that's happening I think the better. Yeah, another guy like Open Mike Eagle yeah. is talking a lot about that stuff nowadays, and it's pretty cool. Um, there or, are a lot um, of Killer Mike is really in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people out there like really kind of sharing what that experience is, yeah. and I think that's creating a little bit of a shift. Whereas, you know, for the past 10, 15 years, we were just kind of like putting a happy face on stuff. Yeah. You know, you presented your brand and everybody had their brand, no matter how old they were, no matter what they were, they were doing their brand, you know, from 14 year olds to 50 year olds. And there's a crack in that facade and it's changing. And it's changing because people are out there actually talking about it. And, th- and that's making a difference, you know? Yeah. And I think one of the big ways people are having those conversations is in long form discussions like podcasts like this. Yeah. And then you see people on Twitch who sit out there and they talk about this while they're sitting there playing games on Twitch. And it's yeah. really interesting because you're getting beyond just a photo of somebody sucking in their stomach, you know? Sure. I mean, I think it's becoming more apparent as well, like as we're coming up on, what, a, over a decade, a decade in almost two decades of social media. Yeah. Um, that people are really starting to look back and go, is there like some bad stuff happening to us by doing this? And people are starting to kind of feel more of that personal responsibility. And we'll talk about this a little bit more next episode in a different kind of light, but you know, stuff like with us, with um, Instagram where it's on that platform, it's a lot easier for me to control the content that I'm seeing because it's all based on this, just the stuff that I follow. And it's really easy to go back and unfollow people or unfollow pages. You know, all I have to do is flip through my thing and click unfollow 19,000 times. Um, But by doing that, I can very easily control the kind of content that I'm seeing. And it's significantly more difficult on platforms like Facebook where it's just so inundated with groups and games and pages and friends and and whatever. It's just very difficult to manage that page. So it's really like barfing at you. But I think to me my solution has been that the responsibility is on myself to curate my account. It has to be. I mean, and, it, yeah. It, and because, it's such a huge time investment. Yes. Yeah. And, and, but the person now, the personal responsibility has to be there because the companies aren't going to hold themselves accountable. Cause no, look back at the, the movie we both watched, the social dilemma. Yeah. Even like the guys who invented this crap, are sitting there wondering, like, are we the bad guys? And yeah, they're like, like, I don't know. I'm Ron Burgundy. Right. Like, maybe I ruined the whole world. And yeah, and, you know, they're not doing and and like there's one dude in that whole show who's like going on tours yelling at people to put their phone down. Yeah. It was the guy with like the Mohawk cut. Yeah, yeah. And I watched and, a couple of his TED Talks. They were kind of cool. Yeah, he's a smart dude. I'm I'm blanking on his name, but he's a smart dude. But those those people are even the ones who were like literally the dudes who invented this stuff are out there now rallying against it. And what they're saying is 
you know, they're trying to hold the companies accountable, but you're never going to hold the companies accountable. Right. Because like at this point, even legislation has been unable to hold the companies accountable. No, because there's dollars there. It doesn't matter. You yeah. Know? And like there's this ethical dilemma going on there too about the data. Right. And yeah. I think one state, Wyoming or something, I can't remember what state it is, but there's a state yeah. that passed a law that says that the residents of that state own their data and the companies like can't do anything with yeah. it and so like that was like one of the more recent like first steps in this like question of data right and right. like giving up your data for free yeah and even yeah and like you know that's one state amongst 50 and i don't see every state picking that up you know there's you know there's states that no i mean i think we're, we're california not is working on one yeah that's so, the only other one i'd heard of yeah, so so you get you get a little bit of legislation here and there and the companies kind of like it's like back when the tobacco companies were like we're going to investigate this, you know, they, right. but they do nothing for Yeah, or like do with the whole uh thing about Oxycontin. They just finally settled that. Right. And how it's long been has that been? 20, 30 years. Right, exactly. Of that. So and, and hundreds of thousands of people have died, you know, I mean, yeah. even more, you know. They have over a trillion dollars in claims against yeah, them. Yeah, that, that, and that family that is just endlessly rich over that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's disgusting. And that's where it comes in where it has to be personal responsibility. Like, people yeah. have to be empowered. They have to, they have to learn from it. And, you know, and there's companies out there that are, like, trying, like, even HBO. HBO got together a bunch of influencers and put them in a room and basically like had psychiatrists lecture them until they realized how dangerous some of this stuff was. Right. And then they turned around and talked to their, to their fan base. And even that, I don't think that's going to be a solution. I think the solution has to be empowering each individual to be able to take control of that. And I think another big part of that is going to be um, making the accessibility on devices easier to navigate, you know, there yeah. should be a switch on the side of your phone that shuts down social media and the rest of your phone works fine. Everything else is fine. Just like click that off. Yeah. Or like, I mean, it's uh, software embedded right yeah. now. So like a thing that I did as part of my like personal responsibility thing recently, because I wanted to like, so I have an iPhone 10, so it has um, screen time statistics oh, built yeah, into yeah. it with the new iOS or whatever. And, um, one thing that I wanted to try to do was decrease my statistically decrease my screen time. And right. so one of the things that I did to do that was I went through my settings and I turned off all notifications. Good. So like yeah. if like it doesn't matter what platform it is, if it's not a phone call, an email or a text message, my yep. phone doesn't do shit. Yep. And my screen time has dropped like dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I'm still working on the whole like picking it up as habit kind oh, of thing. Yeah. Um, That's a real thing. That's but like I'll pick it up and when I look at it and it opens, I don't see any little red bubbles and I'm instantly like, oh, there's nothing for me to see. And yeah. I just put it right back down. And so like all of that like intermittent during the day time that I would be checking it or I'm like doing my like, you know, rotation essentially where it's like text message, email, yep, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, YouTube, <laughs> you know, it's like I'm making the, the round. Yeah, yeah, I'm making yeah. the rounds. And like, that's a thing too. It's like we have all these multiple platforms and you yeah. make the rounds. It's like by the time I get back to text messages, I'm like, oh, I need to go check Instagram right. again. Then I Facebook and then Reddit again, yep. you know, and I'm like yep. just doing the rounds. 
So in turning all <laughs> of that stuff off, it's crazy that my screen time has like decreased dramatically. And it's it was crazy to me almost how instant it was because as soon as I changed those settings to turn notifications off and I swiped up on my phone to go back to my home screen and every single one of those red bubbles was gone. Yeah. It was like a weight just like blew off of my yeah. shoulders. And it's like I sat back in my chair and it's like my whole body relaxed. Like it was yeah. such a weird feeling. It's a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I um I I killed those those notification bubbles a long time ago. Yeah. Um I get I get text messages, emails, phone calls. My phone makes zero noise. Like I don't have any sort of auditory at all. Like that doesn't I don't have that. I miss the days where I had an Altel flip phone and I had like <laughs> songs. Yeah. yeah. And I had like ninety five different ringtones on it. Yeah. And yeah. Like I had like the like my text was like the Chewbacca going, hmm, you know, and then like, and like when I like, when I like opened my phone, it would make the, the, uh, like, um, it would make the lightsaber sound to go when I, oh, nice. my, when I like flip my phone open. Yeah. And then when I fun. closed my phone to go <laughs> and, um, like, and every time somebody called me, it was a different ringtone for every different person. And like, I know you can do that now, but like my phone is on silent 99.9% yeah. of the time. Yeah. So it just vibrates. Yeah. And I like I almost forget and it's like weird to me to turn it on. Like when it makes noises, I'm like, this thing makes noises. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 And I miss I miss a lot of stuff. And you know, you know, my wife and I were both working from home. And so, you know, she has Same. her office. She exactly yeah, yeah, we all are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she has her office downstairs and I have my office upstairs. And so she'll text me and it'll be like 18 minutes before I see it. I just, have that exact same thing. My wife's so mad. She's like, oh, didn't yeah. you see that text you? I'm like, no, I'm on a desk and my phone's sitting on the desk. Like, Exactly, yeah. It's not in my pocket. I can't feel it. Even if it is in my pocket and I'm like walking around, I still can't feel it. Right, so I never exactly. know I'm getting close. Yeah, yeah and, it's, and it's funny because I'll, I'll hear my, my wife's laptop has like an audible email sound and yeah. it's just all yeah. day. Bing, oh man, bing, mine does bing, the same thing. All day long. And that, yeah, so I, I can't do auditory because that like drives me insane. Yeah. So I've got, yeah, so I have no of the red dots. Uh, I've got, I don't get any notifications aside from like personal stuff. And I do, I've got like the black and white setting. So yeah. like after, I think it's 6 p.m., it, my phone turns black and white. And so interesting. You don't get any of that. Like, um, so your brain like wants to see color, even though I'm colorblind as hell. My brain wants to see color. Okay. So flipping through Instagram becomes more boring. Interesting. Which is, yeah, so it's um that one really like took down the amount of time I was staring at. That's stuff. interesting. Um, see, I don't know. See, I don't know if I could deal with that because one of the things I do right before I go to sleep is I read web, I read um comics. Oh, okay. So, I, like, I've I'll a, turn the yellow, I'll turn the yellow nighttime filter on, and then I'll read comics. Oh, uh, okay. So I have a Kindle, so I just like read like straight up books on the Kindle, and I like. Oh, you actually read books? Yeah, and I, <laughs> I leave my phone like away. And yeah. I just look at the Kindle. Well, one thing that I have done is I've started keeping books next to my bed, like physical books. Yeah. So like yeah. I have, I've been reading my way through the One Punch Man mangas. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I have like the next 12 of them. Nice. Stacked yeah. on my desk. That'll keep you Ready busy. to like read. And I'm so sorry if you're in Wake County and you want to read One Punch Man because I have them all <laughs> from the library. Sorry. Um, and they're all in my desk waiting for me to read them. But like I can lay down and read an entire book of one of the one punch man megas in like an hour maybe. Yeah. I don't read very fast. Um, I have my eyes don't work right when it comes to reading on paper. So yeah. Um, 
But so it takes me a long time to read them, but it gets me really sleepy. And so I can fall asleep. And then nice. every one of them that I read, I, you know, I take it back to the library or whatever. So that's been help, helpful yeah, as, as yeah. well. It's but, good. It's good to detach like that. I mean, when it, and this is another stupid hipster thing, but when I, got, when I got <laughs> I into love stupid hipster things, when I got into like film photography, like <laughs> <laughs> film photography was like a thing for me to like disconnect. Like physical film? Yeah, like physical yeah, film. To, was it? 35, 35 millimeters? Yeah, 35 millimeters yeah, so like, millimeter something. Yeah, so like I... My wife's an amazing digital photographer. She was. She's a, really great. Yeah, that's don't how try we to met. get her to take your picture though. <laughs> <laughs> that and, is uh, how we met. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So uh, I do. I just shoot film, and so like I know when she shoots digital stuff, she sits down at her laptop, she edits things, and it's like uh-huh. this whole thing. And for me, seeing that, that like makes me instantly not want to take pictures. So like I go yeah. out. Yeah, I go out with my camera and I take photos and then I like send it off to be developed because I don't have like a light free room. Dark room. Yeah, I don't have a dark room. And so, you know, I get it back and like there's no scanning. I I get prints and like I take care of it and stuff. You can't, you should buy, uh, you should buy a negative scanner. I do. I have a negative scanner, but I, I I try not to use it too often uh, because I end up like putting stuff. I have this technology, but fuck it. Yeah, well, I end up, I end up like, if I scan stuff, I'm like, I'm gonna put this on Instagram, and then like, yeah. oh, hashtag, I took a picture of my dog, and then I'm like, what am I doing? Millimeter life. Yeah, exactly. Like, I shoot film, uh, stay broke, oh shoot God. film, and yeah, stay and that broke. Me, That's funny. Yeah, so that drives me crazy. So like, I, I try to like stay away from that stuff. So it's like, um, yeah, I mean, for me, like those little analog things I can work into my life, like really yeah. help because like my job is like. Being on the computer. Being on the computer. Minus like, two. Yeah. And so like, I mean, my, my job is like, I I help run an agency full of like creators who do YouTube videos. And so like, it's all day long. I'm on, I'm talking to these guys online. I'm looking at the videos. I'm just there 24 seven. And so I'm also on social media all day long for work. So it's just like, that's where oh, I live. Yeah. And so mine's a little bit the opposite. I stare at like 90 million line spreadsheets all day. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. like if you need an Excel boss, I am your dude. But no, I just, I like, if I never looked at another spreadsheet, again, <laughs> that I would be great. But like, yeah, it's the same thing with me. I just stare at the computer all day. Yeah. So like, those little analog things I find so much joy in. It's crazy. It helps. It like, really does. um, Last year, before we moved into our new house, um, I had started getting back into building um, Gunpla models, the plastic Gundam models. Oh, yeah. And those are cool. Like, I love just like sitting down and clipping them out of the plastic frames and then like sanding all the little pieces off of the side of them and then I put them together. And then once they're together, like I set them up with their little, you know, beam sabers and, and, uh, beam rifles and crap and they make them look like cool. they're fighting each other and like I don't know like it seems really stupid like that's a thing I did in high school I built gumbo models in high school like that's the last time I did it and but it's not like I found this community around it who uses social yeah. media to talk to each other they hang out in person in model shops and like build Gundam models together and give yeah. each other tips on how to put them together and like paint them and all this stuff and like I haven't done any of that but like I just really enjoyed the manualness the yeah the analogness of sitting down like clicking pieces of plastic well and you just like sniffing the paint too yeah i mean yeah <laughs> um and then there's these other ones i found there are these little tiny metal models where it's like these stamped pieces of like really really thin 
metal. Cool. And you cut all the little metal pieces oh, out. Yeah, and yeah. then they have these little tabs on them and you're just sticking the tabs to like a tab on another piece and you just twist it and that's what holds it in. And, cool. it ends up, and so it's like I have, um, like I, I can't even remember what all I have. It's like I have a Millennium Falcon and a Star Destroyer and like cool. all this really cool Star Wars stuff that um, I have a... Um, I have an ATAT walker. Yeah, yeah. And like like all this stuff. And they're really, really hard. And they take a long time. Like yeah. the gunpla models don't take nearly as long as these little tiny metal models are. And they're like three or four inch tall models. Like oh wow. But they're so difficult to put together and it takes so much concentration. Like it takes me two or three sittings. Like it's probably do you like have like six or seven hours to do one of these things. Do you have like a big magnifying glass thing that you put between you and that? No, I just hunch over my desk like a hunchback. Oh. Like it kills my back. To oh, do, sure. Like yeah. That's the only thing. It like kills my back to do these models. Um, and especially the little metal ones. But like, it's just like I have a pair of metal clippers and then I have this like little tiny, like super skinny set of evil nose pliers. And I just get all cool. up on them and like, that's fascinating. Pieces. And I have, um, and I have like different size um, punches that I use for yeah. different things and like i use those to like bend and roll the little pieces of plastic okay. because there's curved parts too so you yeah, have this yeah. flat thing and you have to like make it into a curved thing cool and um so i'll like roll them around punches and all this stuff to like make them the right shape and all that crap and then like put them together and yeah i don't know it's like it's weird to me that i'm like as i'm getting older and i'm trying to like just dis- not and distance myself from like the social media stuff a little bit especially with a job where i stare at a computer all day to do this more very lo-fi yeah analogy type stuff it like quiets my brain down like makes me feel good and to do it purposefully yeah to actually make a plan and like do that yeah and then i get to stand back in my room and look at my gundam models fighting each other like it's kind of a fun feeling yeah no it's i mean it's definitely cool it's like in in high school i built and drove and wrecked crappy cars and like and i'm getting back into that you know (laughs) it's it's you know i just bought a very cheap miata that's that's what it's for is to like drive around and have fun i'm the opposite i've bought a very expensive jeep and it's broke down too so (laughs) um but yeah so getting back to kind of our topic a little bit i don't really know that there's a way that we're ever going to hold these companies accountable for yeah the unintentional side effects. Cause I think that's the thing we have to keep in mind too, is the algorithm isn't out there purposefully doing bad things to people. That's not right. Really set up. It's set up with an end goal in mind. And that goal is engagement and mm-hmm. it just wants you to be engaged and it's doing whatever the algorithm figures out is right. the most statistically advantageous way to Absolutely. create engagement. Yeah. And the, in the bottom of the engagement is money. Right. Know? Yeah. And in the for. bottom of yeah, that yeah. is ads. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's basically it. Um, I do kind of feel bad. We have all this really great research. Should we, like, I don't want to do, like, an exposition man moment, but yeah. do we want to just, like, kind of read through some of the more um, overtly mind-blowing statistics? I think so, yeah, yeah. Okay, let me, I'm, I'm, pull, I'm going to pull the uh, uh, statistics up on my phone and let me kind of flip through these real quick and find... Some of the more crazy ones. Okay, so here's a really interesting one. The greater your level of Facebook addiction, the lower your brain volume. So MRI scans have found that Facebook users demonstrate a significant reduction in gray matter in the amygdala correlated with their level of addiction to Facebook. <laughs> that, that's insane. To it's me. mind-blowing. Yeah, like it's literally destroying gray matter in your brain. Yeah, it's like... Um like when you like when you have a fish in a small tank 
it doesn't yeah. grow a bearded, large dragon in a small tank. Yeah. I, I don't know if bearded, I don't think bearded they dragons, do. Oh, do they really? I have one upstairs. We just got her a four foot by like, do they grow based on the size of their tank? Yeah. Their environment can. Wow. I didn't know. I didn't know bearded this, dragons did that. Yeah. So we wow. just got her this huge tank. It's like four feet by four feet by two feet. Like, so the bearded dragon's smaller tank was it on Facebook. Yeah. And now you've freed the dragon. Yeah. She, uh, he's going to get huge and I am here for it. Um, <laughs> and they okay. wave at you. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best can, part of it. They can ride dragons. on your shoulder and stuff like they're fun. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's kind of a cool one. So 75% of screens content is viewed for less than one minute. According to a study that tracked computer multitasking across the course of one day, the results indicated that most people switch between contents every 19 seconds. That's insane. That's crazy. So that to me probably has a lot to do with the fact that if I look back on my life a little bit, I feel like my attention span was better when I was younger. Oh, and, absolutely. And now my attention spans garbage. Like I can't even sit down garbage. and watch a movie and I fucking love movies. <laughs> and have you ever, have you dipped into like TikTok or Instagram reels at all? Uh, no. So, I, I'm trying, I, I have actively stayed away from TikTok, although people send them to me yeah, once yeah, they yeah. get exported from the platform and I'm like, haha, they're funny. Um, and I'm actively avoiding Instagram so reels. I, I found the other day where you can find Instagram reels and kind of went through them and it, and and the content on there is just garbage. And it's like... On TikTok? Oh, well, this is Instagram Reels, but oh, most of yeah, them yeah, yeah. are from TikTok. Most of them are just exported over. Okay. And it's just it's it's just a lot of people. It's, it's the equivalent of like making bad puns. It's just like very short six second... It's Vine. It's just like short six second jokes that the aren't only, really that funny. The only content I'm really seeing, and I don't know if this says something about what I follow... Probably not because I don't follow that much racy stuff. But the only content that I'm really seeing in reels is like girls taking their pants off and twerking and write it. Yeah. And that it seems to be that's what they're prioritizing. I see it's a like lot. I see more people talking about that. Girls butts. Right. Like that's all it is. Yeah. Well, probably because there's a feedback like loop. Light. Exactly. That's probably what people are watching. Prob- I mean, for sure. Yeah. That's. I mean, this is a whole other episode we could talk about, but there's, uh, if you look at the economics, the economics of the porn industry, yeah, the once stuff like OnlyFans came out, yeah, the amount of money that was being spent on porn, and not just that, but the amount of money the performers were making exploded. It was like a ten trillion percent increase. Wait, so like people making regular porn, there was more of that. No, they were making more money. Oh, okay. Like if you watch, if like if you think about like Jenna Jameson or something, yeah, yeah. from like the ni- in sure. early thousands yeah. or whatever, she probably got paid like maybe a thousand dollars a video, yeah, or whatever, maybe. But if you go to something like uh, OnlyFans, those people will share their their like actual like financial income statements, yeah, and they'll make five thousand dollars the first week. Yeah. They'll and then like as it's building or whatever, they'll be like, I made, you know, fifty thousand dollars last month. OnlyFans is like posting pictures of my toes or something. OnlyFans is interesting. It's it's from what I've seen people talking about it, it's there's definitely this weirdness where, you know, porn is you're just watching people have sex. Right. OnlyFans, there's a level of accessibility there. Yeah. Where 
people can talk and interact. And that's like this, this other symptom of where social media has grown. Now people want to be able to talk to their porn stars. They want to be able to have a conversation. They want to feel engaged. Exactly. As you buy the different levels, you can get customized content. You can get all this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And And, so it's caused this like explosion and people being able to make money that way. Right. Which is interesting, you know, yeah, they, they like money went to business for, for themselves and only yeah. fans and stuff like that gave them a platform to do it. And it's just nuts. Yeah, it's startups. Do it. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Here's a good one. We talked about this one earlier. So 30% of 18 to 44 year olds feel anxious if they haven't checked their Facebook in the last two hours. In fact, many are so hooked that 31% report checking their phone while driving and 16% report checking it while doing it. <laughs> wait do what was the numbers for driving and then having sex um 31 percent while driving check while driving 16 percent check uh while doing it so uh, just less than one in five wow that's bizarre yeah i can't like okay let's let's tackle driving first yeah i, I get driving <laughs> i get i it's, get driving it's a horrible thing because to do, but every st- every stoplight I stop at, everybody's looking at their crotches and I don't think they're actually just looking at their crotches. And so, but then there's nothing down there to smile at. No, no. I mean, even as a, you know, as a man, there's nothing to <laughs> smile at down there at all. No, it's all that. And, uh, but, but the during sex thing, it's, it reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where they like started incorporating food and like George was eating a sandwich while he was having sex and he got yeah. busted. But like, I can't, I can't even picture a world where, I would stop in the middle of sex to grab my phone. Never. I wouldn't. And it's not because I would be super into the sex. It would more be because I would be worried about my wife killing me. I think that would probably be the problem there. Um, Cause it's just, I couldn't understand that whole mentality. It's just, it's, I don't know, but I guess 16% of people do it. So yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, so there's some other ones in here about um, people being like half of people report that their partners also often distracted um, while they're trying to have conversations with them, which I completely makes sense. I think everybody experiences that. Um, 90% of cell phone users admit to using their phone during a social gathering, like spending time with their family or whatever. Sure. Um, 82% of millennials think it's okay to read text messages or emails while they're having social time, like with family or friends or whatever. Uh, 75% think it's okay to send texts and emails while they're having conversations with people. Um, <laughs> this one I thought was actually kind of interesting. So um, with parental use of mobile devices during playtime with their children, uh, there's been a study done that shows that it can lead to significant levels of child distress. Um, a study of infant mothers um, indicate that infants showed greater unhappiness, fewer positive emotions, and were significantly less likely to play with their toys when mothers looked at their devices for as little as two minutes during the time that they were playing together. Oh, wow. I see that. Like when I, well, before COVID, when I would take take my daughter to the playground. Yeah. I would see all the other moms on their phones and they're just kind of like following their kid around and letting their kid run wild while they're like doing whatever they're doing on their phones. And it was pretty common. It was like everybody in the playground. And I mean, the kid, I mean, I feel like most people just kind of sit around staring at their phone and like, it's like 
it's like, can you remember like being on the playground? I mean, I can't remember ever being on the playground, but I could imagine a situation where I was on the playground or something and like I turn around and be like, mom, mom, did you see me do that thing? And they're like, nope, I was checking <laughs> fucking Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's wild. Like, and, and kids definitely notice because you see. They absolutely notice. They're very yeah. attent, like, uh, I, I want to say astute or attentive. That's not the right words. They know when that shit happens. They yeah. can tell when you're not paying attention. My my daughter is a big fan of like taking your phone out of your hand, like good, like a principal, like a school principal. Good. She just walks up and yanks it out of your hand. Nice, and then makes eye contact with you, like you did something wrong. She's judging you. Oh yeah, she absolutely is. She absolutely you de- is. You deserve it. it I I do. I do. <laughs> um. Okay. So we do have a bunch of statistics about like mental health, about like yeah mental health stuff. Um. So let's talk about some of those. So these are not directly related to social media. These are just like general global mental health statistics. So at least 25% of people worldwide suffer from at least one mental disorder during their lifetime. I'm surprised it's that low, to be honest. Yeah. that See, that feels really low to me now that I've read it out loud. Yeah. I wonder if, if that's I think self-reported. Four, Two billion people. Yeah, have mental so you see that to me might be a skewed um to statistic depending on I know where it came from so I feel like it's sort of reliable because it sure. came from the UN okay. but then I wonder how accurate that really is because where are they getting that data from really yeah I mean when you go to like sub-saharan Africa and start yeah. asking about mental disorders they're like no I'm trying to find food yeah or i mean either even within um the united states you think about how difficult it is to find uh mental health care how expensive it is how there's how stigmatized it is you know i feel like this is a very low number yeah like i feel like it should be more like half or more yeah yeah like in my head we're essentially like our brains are essentially super high functioning, high functioning tapioca. Like there is, <laughs> yeah, there's a 100% chance that basically everybody should have some kind of mental disorder unless you're just so unself aware that you're like one of those super happy people just floating through life all bubbly and you don't give a shit about anything. Which that's probably, probably 15% of people. of people, maybe more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. Uh, are you ob- oblivious? Are you happily unaware? Are you that guy from the Matrix who's like, uh, ignorance is bliss? Yeah, back yeah. into the machine. Like, going to eat my steak dinner. That's you. Be done with it. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, here's like a more financial based one. So this also came from the UN. So they're estimating that the global economic burden of mental health disorders is currently around tr- $3 trillion a year. And that it's projected to exceed six to nine trillion dollars per year by 2030. Again, seems low. That kind of seems that's a lot of money, but it seems kind of low. Yeah. I mean, like, what was Hurricane Andrew? 26 billion? I don't, I, I have no idea. I mean, uh, yeah. I it's the entire debt of the United States currently. Yeah. Seems low. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just take into account anybody that has a student loan probably has some sort of like mental distress issues. Yeah. And then look at that number and, you know, extrapolate from there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that I wonder 
I would wonder how much this would compound on people with multiple mental health disorders. Yeah, that's right. Like if that would even have an effect or like how that would play then. I'd be interested in knowing more about that. Um, Okay, so this one also seems kind of low to me. 66% of people worldwide with a mental health disorder will fail to receive care. That's that's worldwide. Worldwide. Yeah, again, seems low. Like yeah. it's I can't imagine that there's people in like you know rural Russia that are really getting time face to face with a counselor, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I feel like it's low too. Yeah. I mean cuz like I have really good insurance and I've like I've gone through issues where I've had problems trying to find like a mental health counselor and like gone back and forth. Yeah, yeah. same. And like um first world hashtag first world problems. I know. We'll probably talk about this at some point. So I have had chronic body pain yeah issues for many, many years. Yeah. And this year is the first year where I've actually tried to find like a counselor who specializes specifically in people who have chronic pain problems. Yeah. And it was the most difficult and frustrating process I've done. I can imagine. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. It's horrible. Uh, like it took me weeks, probably two months of searching for someone every yeah. day to find to finally find someone who could refer me to someone. Yeah. Like it, it was horrible. And and we live in a moderate sized city. Yeah. It, that's that's a well off city in a in a well off state, you know, it's Yeah. Like you wouldn't believe how many people I called and they said, Oh, I don't do hypnosis. I'm like, I'm not calling about hypnosis. But apparently that's a thing. <laughs> Congratulations. Apparently yeah. a lot of people with chronic pain just do hypnosis. They don't huh. actually do it's weird. It's very weird. Uh but chronic pain's a whole other different thing that we could talk about. Yeah. It's it's kind of insane. Um this one's not surprising to me at all. Ninety percent of the nearly one million people worldwide who die by suicide every year have a mental disorder. Yeah. That's not shocking to me at all. No. Um it was a million a year. Apparently, yeah. Uh, this says a million people commit suicide every year, and of those million people, ninety percent of them have a mental disorder. A million seems low, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I, yeah I, now that I'm reading it, right. it, yeah. it sounds low. I know I got all of these six from reputable sites. Like I have, yeah, the, yeah. I have the links and everything. Well, I'm, I'm thinking there's. I mean, probably when you get to like countries and you know in the third world things like that i doubt yeah. a lot of suicide is reported accurately that's probably very true a lot of suicide in the u.s isn't reported accurately yeah uh I, yeah i feel like a lot of our data is kind of fucked up um but it, i mean it would be better if we had better health care so. yeah yeah <laughs> who'd have thunk it yeah um 70 percent of youths in the u.s juvenile justice system have been diagnosed with mental illness I mean, I'm not surprised by that at all. Yeah, when you're a kid and you end up in the the youth justice system. Well, no, yeah. I think that they probably had it beforehand. So if you think of course, about, yeah. Um, so to me, this indicates a number of things. So my wife is a uh, school teacher, and she's taught at a number of different schools. And one of those schools was a school that a lot of people had like a very weird preconceived notion that it's the school where the bad kids go. Like it's uh, like the okay. reject bad kids. And it really wasn't. These were the kids that just needed more help. They couldn't function in a normal school kind of situation where you had 35 kids in a classroom with one. They just couldn't deal with that. And a lot of these kids had like really horrible home lives and or some of them were homeless. Like they were living at the 
uh, like American Legion and shit, you know, like they had nowhere to go. And I know, or I, I don't personally know this, but my understanding about this situation is that a number of these kids with that kind of like bad family home life situation had some kind of undiagnosed mental health issue. Yeah. And if these kids didn't succeed at this school, their next step was essentially juvie. Yeah. And I can just see how with the way that our school system is currently set up and the amount of not enough funding that it has going on and our lack of mental health care in the United States, that especially with children, it could be very easy for a mental health disorder to go unrecognized and untreated. And the side effect of that is that they get into some sort of trouble that they don't necessarily deserve to be in because of some sort of misunderstanding or an undiagnosed and untreated mental health disorder where this could have been prevented by better care. And then they end up in juvie. And then we turn around and figure out all of these kids have mental health problems. And really the symptom was they didn't get the mental health they need. Not these are bad kids that are in juvie and kids in juvie have mental health disorders. Yeah. Like that's the way that I read that statistic. No, and I agree. I mean, because, I mean, take a look at that with the insight of looking at low-income neighborhoods too, you know, and, and middle-income and high-income and, and all those different things. Yeah. When you start looking at, like, socioeconomic stuff, it, you know, those numbers are only going to skyrocket, and it makes right. total sense, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, so here's another statistic about kids that I think is really interesting. And this to me is a very sad one as well. So 40% of students with mental health disorders graduate from high school compared to 76% of their peers. Oh, so 60% of kids with mental health disorders don't graduate. Is that kind of what it's saying? Yes. Yeah. So, so if you have, uh, if you have a mental health disorder and you're in school, you have a 60% chance to not graduate. Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. I mean, when, so when I was in 10th grade, I, I like I was saying before, I was like an overweight kid. I was picked on. I had really bad PTSD, had all these issues. Yeah. And I dropped out in 10th grade. And I, I dropped out and I homeschooled myself and ended up going to college like a year later. But it was... I mean, it makes sense. Like I, I knew several kids that were in the same boat you yeah. know, that had issues and they, they dropped out of school also. So. Yeah. Like this kind of thing to me is the kind of stuff that just, it shouldn't be happening. Yeah. There yeah. should be so much better mental health support, especially in the most advanced country in the world. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we should care about our, our people more than this. Yeah. And, um, and it's, and it's a matter of, you know, People say it's a matter of money, but the money can be moved around and and looked at in different ways and be used more effectively. Yeah. I mean, because so there's a really good video that I've seen a number of times on uh, YouTube and it's really cool. And if you haven't seen it, um, I'll try and find the link to it. And it actually doesn't talk about mental health at all. It's talking about um, the like sort of the financial and global impact of humanitarianism. Okay. And... Um, there's like all this stuff that shows that when you provide humanitarian aid in a way that you can raise people up and you essentially Uh, teach those people to fish with the aid instead of giving them a fish, that those people just foster this like better society. And then 
more yeah. enough good comes out of it that it's not like a zero sum where when you provide humanitarian aid, you are losing something because really you're getting something back out of that cycle right. of aid. And that to me is like a similar situation here. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like imagine, cause to me, and I don't know if we'll ever talk about this, but we might, I have a very weird perspective on the idea of like, um, uh, second amendment rights and like gun stuff and like shootings in schools and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cause if you look at the statistics of those people, it's like a hundred percent of them have had undiagnosed mental health issues oh, yeah. or maybe not even undiagnosed, but they have had some sort of mental health disorder. Yeah, absolutely. And so to me, I look at a situation like that and I'm like, is it really the hardware right. or is this a mental health problem? Right. And the fact that we are basically discarding mental health altogether and yeah. It's even with insurance and money and a good job. It's hard. It's hard to get it. So imagine yeah. a kid who has no money, no control over anything, right? Who can't get it, and then they turn around and shoot their school. I'm like, and no, grows I'm, up, yeah, in and a place where they can't talk. A psychopath. You right. know, I'm like, are you surprised yeah. by this? You know, because to me, I'm not at all. No, same. Yeah. So I don't know that. That to me, I feel like we 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 need to do better there. Agreed. Um, yeah. Okay, so, and this one is probably a big contributing factor to this. So globally, there is less than one mental health professional per every 10,000 people. Wow. Talk about a lack of support. That's like having a classroom with 100 students and one teacher, but it's not college and it's but not it's, a lecture, it's middle school. <laughs> and it's 10,000 students and not one. And, and, yeah, one and it's 10,000 students <laughs> and one teacher, yeah. Um, that, that was globally, yeah. I wonder what the numbers are for like United States. And then I would love to see the numbers of like how many teachers for every kid. Like it, it'd be interesting to see all that. Yeah, I don't know. Teachers is another one. And, and that one's kind of tough because it really is dependent upon like a number of things like what school system you're in, where yeah. you're located, um, economic, like location-based funding for schools is another mm-hmm. one that is kind of fucked up and weird. Um, what type of school it is. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. all kind of factors there that affects like the population mix, uh, the, what's that word? The demographic. Yeah. And the number of students and, and, and stuff like that. Like um, at, my te- at my wife's current school, her classes max out at 20 but at her previous school her classes maxed out at six. Oh wow and at her previous school before that her classes maxed out at 35 and this is all within two counties yeah in north carolina so it's like i think my my high school was like 30 40 kids yeah yeah. and the demographics were wildly different between the three schools yeah so it's kind of it's that's one of those like really kind of tough ones so, all right, I think that that really is kind of the the mind blowing ones. I think. Yeah, um, it's that's. It's and this is sad. just some of them. Like we have, <laughs> it's just so, so many more statistics besides this that talk about a bunch of other stuff. As I was like running down the rabbit hole of research and all the webs yeah. that we could get into, and I know this one wasn't that conspiracy theory e, but I think this is a good way to just like kind of get into the conspiracy. I think next episode is going to have a lot more conspiracy right. to it yeah. than this one. Yeah, we're kind of setting up for for a big thing. Yeah, and I do think this was a little bit of like a overwhelming undertaking for the first episode. Yeah. So 
I think our future episodes are going to be a lot more focused than this. I think we just wanted to start very broad. And as we go into the episodes, get a little more focused. But cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in this time. Uh, We'll talk to you next time. Yeah. Stick around. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Brew Luminati. Our intro and outro music is written by Dungeness. Want to learn more about the topics we cover and who we are? Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Luminati Podcast for behind-the-scenes content and updates. If you have mystical powers of insight or just questions, suggestions, and feedback, reach out to us at thebrewluminati at gmail.com. Are you ready to immerse yourself into the inner circle? Visit patreon.com slash Podcast. For the same price as a cup of coffee or sandwich you won't remember, you know, because of mind control, you can join the Brewluminati and lift the veil on the true mysteries of the universe. Your membership to the Conclave unlocks access to our secret Discord server, bonus Patreon-only content, behind-the-scenes talks, and much more. Every dollar spent not only helps us reveal the truths of the world, but also frees us to make the show better, weirder, and allows us to go deeper and deeper into the void while funding our next beer run. When we're not talking conspiracies and beer, we're passionate about saving the forgotten puppies and kitties of the world. 10% of every dollar you donate goes directly to the Best Friend Pet Adoption Agency. They are a local 501c3 all-breed, all-foster cat and dog rescue that will save the life of a pet who never had a chance. Keep an eye out because we'll be posting pictures of the lives our listeners save. For more information on Best Friend Pet Adoption, head over to bfpa.org. Join us again next week for another episode of Brew Luminati. We know you will, because again, mind control is real.